Good morning. When I last preached on December the 6th, just before Christmas, on the second coming of Jesus, I mentioned that it wasn't my job to decide who does or who does not make it into the kingdom of heaven. That's God's job. I'm in sales, I said, not management. And today's reading allows me scope to develop that sales pitch and to offer a challenge for all of us as we look forward to 2021. So let me set the scene. It's pretty obviously been a difficult year for all sorts of reasons, including not being able to invite our friends or neighbours over for a meal or a drink over the Christmas break. Invitations would normally go out with a request to RSVP. Inevitably, some would reply that they weren't able to come, but most hopefully would say that they could, although some wouldn't bother to reply at all. And on the day, most of those expected will usually turn up, although a few who said they would come don't appear. And on the other hand, some of those who didn't bother to reply at all, knock on the door. We would let them in, of course. It would be rude not to. But it could be different. A professional singer, Ruthana Metzgar, tells a story of being invited by a very wealthy man to sing at her wedding. According to the invitation, the reception and banquet after the ceremony would take place on the top two floors of Seattle's Columbia Tower, then the tallest skyscraper in the region. Not surprisingly, she and her husband Roy were very excited. After the reception, waiters in tuxedos offered fancy hors d'oeuvres and exotic drinks until finally the bride and groom appeared and approached a beautiful brass staircase that led to the top floor. Someone ceremoniously cut a satin ribbon draped across the bottom of the stairs and announced that the wedding banquet was about to begin. Bride and groom ascended the stairs and the guests followed. At the top of the stairs, a maitre d' with a bound book greeted the guests outside the doors. May I have your name, please? He asked. My name is Rosanna Metzgar and this is my husband, Roy. The maitre d' searched the M's but couldn't find their names. Would you spell it for me, please? He asked. She spelled it out slowly, but all to no avail. I'm sorry, she was told, but your name is not here. There must be some mistake, said Ruthana. I'm the singer. I sang at the wedding. It doesn't matter who you are or what you did, said the maitre d'. Without your name in the book, you cannot attend the banquet. He motioned to a nearby waiter and said, show these people to the service lift, please. Following the waiter, past the orchestra and the beautifully decorated table laden with food and drink, they were ushered into the lift. The waiter leaned in and pressed a button and they descended to the garage parking area. After driving several miles in silence, Roy turned to his wife and gently asked, what happened, darling? Hurt and confused, she looked at him with tears in her eyes. When the invitation arrived, I was very busy, so I never bothered to reply. Besides, I was the singer. Surely I could go to the reception without responding to the RSVP. It's a, it's a fair question, isn't it? And it's a sad story. Well, certainly sad, but maybe not a fair question. This story from Luke's Gospel is a very familiar one. It talks to the fear of losing a child as Christine and I did for a couple of hours a few years ago. And the beginning of them exerting their independence, which can be pretty trying. But it talks to of something more than just these things. It talks of dangerous assumptions and hard 
lessons. Let's hear the story from Luke chapter 2. The reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 50. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him amongst the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Picture the scene. Everyone gathering up their stuff and heading home after a holiday break, something which most, if not all of us, are surely looking forward to in the coming year once the dreaded bug has been curtailed. As they leave the big city and head for home, everyone is walking together, talking in serious huddles or chatting in family groups with friends, with the children playing and tagging along behind. As it says in verse 41, this was an annual event, so comparisons would be made to previous years. Discussions on the latest fashions, the best bargains, the political situation under Roman domination, the sermons they'd heard preached, church and state politics, markets, shopping, purchases, fashions, the cost of living. Now, in one sense, there's nothing wrong with any of this. Those issues will have been and made up a big part of the rich tapestry of life and events back then, as indeed they do now. And they're not unimportant. But, and it's a big but, as we travel through our journey of life, the danger is that we give no thought to the one thing that was then and is now of the greatest importance. There was an arrogant, even blasphemous assumption, which we read about in verse 44. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. The assumption was that Jesus would be there somewhere in one of the groups tagging along. They didn't just hope that this was so, it was expected. It was his business to be there. When they couldn't find him, they were of course worried. And when they eventually do find him, the relief is mixed in verse 48 with exasperation, even anger. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. In other words, what do you think you're playing at? Why weren't you there when we called for you? Now, this is perhaps a perfect picture of the attitude of much of humanity. On we go, concerned about everything and everybody, except the one thing that really matters and the one person who alone really counts. Until a crisis emerges and we need him and we turn to find him, and we discover that he's not there. 
It's not that most of us don't care. We just assume that we can come and go, do anything and everything that pleases us, and that Jesus will come when we call for him. We lead, he follows. And when the time comes, he will be there for us. In my sermon on December the 6th, I made the point that literally everyone has been invited to what Jesus often referred to as the wedding banquet, the wedding feast. Now, there are those, of course, who simply ignore or refuse the invitation. They live for this world alone and they have no expectation of heaven. Although, as I've often said, we may be surprised at who we meet in the kingdom, in most cases they've made their choice and there's often little, if anything, that we can do about that. But if they stand at one end of the spectrum and those of us who have accepted Christ's invitation stand at the other, in the middle there are a vast number who haven't consciously made a choice at all. Holding firm to being true to themselves, even though history clearly shows that the result of being true to ourselves is usually far from pretty, they basically kick the can down the road, arguing that everything's fine and they're doing their best to lead as good a life as possible. Many blithely assume that they are actually Christians or think that an RSVP has actually been sent because they were baptized or they've got it covered because they have Christian relatives, usually a much-loved aunt or grandmother who went to church, and who they're sure they will meet once again because everything will be okay in the end. How they live their own lives will make no difference one way or the other. God is love, and that solves everything. All will be well. Everything will be all right on the night. But as Matthew says in his gospel, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Or as the message version puts it, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, the way to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. The underlying assumption that Jesus is in their company and that they can travel through life as they please is an assumption shared by many outside the church. And it has to be said, probably by some inside it as well. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is a kind chap. He'll be there when we need him, welcoming us all into the kingdom, even if we never got around to replying to his invitation. For this is a false doctrine a dangerous doctrine. The assumption that all will be well in terms of eternity is like a drug. It deadens pain and lessens fear and gives a false sense of well-being. That all seems well so far proves nothing, for at some point the real test arrives. For some reason in life or when facing death, many will turn to look for Christ. And at that moment, all of the false assumptions will be swept away, and all that will matter is whether or not they have responded to the call of Christ. Later in his gospel, Luke records Jesus' teaching on the coming of the kingdom of God. Just as it was in the days of Noah, he says, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came, and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. 
But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Now, these are tough words, seemingly very harsh words. But can, can there be anything as terrible as someone assuming that their names are written in the book of life, only to discover, like Ruthana, that they aren't there, that they aren't on the list, that they won't be let into the wedding feast? Jesus might be gentle, but his teaching is often far from mild. So where does all this lead us? Like many of you, I'm sure over the years, I have prayed for revival, for our nation to turn back to God, back to its biblical roots. And in particular, I prayed for friends and family to respond to Christ's invitation. But although I've had the joy of seeing individual people finding Jesus, the truth is that there hasn't been a widespread national revival for decades. In an increasingly secular, atheistic world, it can be easy to lose hope. But as a Baptist minister once said, man's extremity is God's opportunity. And if nothing else, the pandemic, pandemic we're living through has certainly made people reflect on matters of life and death. And we know, for example, that many have turned in, attuned in to these online church services that we do, like this one, in order to find some meaning behind all that's been going on. History shows that in times of darkness, hardness, hardship and suffering, when so many are haunted by the shadows of sickness and bereavement, of loneliness, disappointment and dread, the power of Christ's invitation becomes perhaps easier to accept than in times of prosperity. And throughout our nation's history, there have been many times of renewal and revival. Back in 1740, there were literally only six people in St. Paul's Cathedral on Easter Sunday. The country was in an unholy mess. But God's people prayed. And in response, God raised up two anointed evangelists, Wesley and Whitfield, and tens of thousands came to faith. Wouldn't it be wonderful to see such a return to the Lord in 2021? But if that is to happen, then we must all play our part. First, through prayer. When Solomon had finished building and dedicating the temple in Jerusalem, the Lord appeared to him in his palace and told him this. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague amongst my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Prayer, I think, always precedes revival. Secondly, through witness. This past week has seen the 850th anniversary of the martyrdom of Thomas Becket the then Archbishop of Canterbury. The word martyr simply means witness, which as followers of Christ is what we all are, witnesses to all those around us each and every day, whether we are aware of it or not. Our Christian faith can't be kept in a file, a neat file labeled religion, only reluctantly brought out for special occasions. Our very lives preach the word. 
Paul, writing to Timothy, told him to preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Do the work, he said, of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Words epitomized, I would say, by the Queen in her life and in her Christmas Day message again this year. That word applies or those words apply to all of us, too. Now, I don't go in for New Year resolutions, but my prayer for 2021 after a Christmas like no other is that it will be a year when we will be good witnesses to the hope of Christ. A year when we share with others the good news of Jesus. A year when we preach the word well through the way we live our lives in these uncertain times. A year when we do the work of an evangelist as we explain to those around us how we have coped with all that's been going on in these tough times. Coped through prayer, through reading the scriptures and through fellowship. A year when we discharge the duties of our ministries with great patience and careful instruction as we encourage those around us to accept the invitation to join us in the kingdom of heaven. Ancient cities kept rolls listing the names of their citizens. Guards were, were, were posted at the city gates to keep out the criminals and any enemies by checking their names against the list. That's the context for these words from the book of Revelation in chapter 21. Nothing impure will ever enter it. That is the new Jerusalem, the eternal city. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Called to put our lives in Jesus's hands, my prayer for 2021 is that it won't be a year when we just assume that Jesus will meekly follow wherever we decide to go. A year when we just assume that he is with us, but rather a year when we pray and seek his face and then follow where he leads. And that 2021 will be a year when, as a result of those prayers and as a result of our witness, many more names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Lists and lines of names of people who, through us, hear the invitation and who RSVP. Wouldn't that be great? Amen.